Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD stimulant awareness, media sensationalism. Everyone, we uh, we have been celebrating ADHD Awareness Month, which is the month of October, uh, with a seven-part series on awareness of ADHD stimulant medications. Uh, yes, seven parts, so it's no longer a part of October. Uh, we are in November. We're kind of excited about the, the topic, so we just kept uh, uh, the shows running for awareness ever since. Um, tonight is the seventh show of the series uh, on media sensationalism. Um, real quickly, uh, tonight's show is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, we're offering you two free digital copies of Attention Magazine. All you've got to do is send us an email with the secret word um, that uh, is embedded in our show uh, for three different shows. Just email us at attention at attentiontalkradio.com, and we'll email you uh, the current PDF of the magazine and an upcoming um, or new edition of the magazine when it kind of comes out. Uh, Chad's going to share a little tip for us real quick, and we'll get into the meat of the show. Are you confused about all the treatments for ADHD? Consider working closely with healthcare providers and other ADHD professionals. Your treatment should be tailored to your unique needs to help you cope with the disorder, improve overall mental well-being, and manage social relationships. For tips, resources, and strategies, contact Chad at helpforadhd.org. Thank you, Chad, for your continued support. Those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage our members, or listeners, if you will, to become members uh, by going to chadd.org. They are the organization that advocates for us on Capitol Hill, different regulatory agencies to make sure that we are heard out there in the world. Um, Again, tonight uh, we're ending our uh, seven-part series on ADHD stimulant medications. Uh, The first was on the basics of medications, the shortages, dosing, uh, the long-term effects. Are they addictive? Last week was medication diversion, and this week uh, the media sensationalism of them. Uh, We hope you enjoyed these series of them. We hope you you enjoyed tonight's show. Uh, I think I found it very, very, uh, very informative uh, myself personally when we did this. With that, uh, we hope you enjoy it. We are here tonight with Dr. Ann Abramowitz and Dr. Teresa Lori Maitland. Uh, ladies, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Jeff. Thank you very much for coming on. I'm, uh, I'm very excited about uh, this particular show. Uh, I read a blog that the two of you posted back uh, in late February of, of 2013, and I guess I just to piece some stuff up, can you just tell us about the writing? How, how did that come about? the writing of it and posting on the blog as a little bit of background, um, and we can kind of get into some of the meat of the show. Uh, this is Anne Abramowitz. We, we felt that it was important for the professional advisory board of CHAD to um, offer our reactions as well as um, the reactions of, of Dr. Ruth Hughes. 
the CEO of CHED, and um, I volunteered to write something, and Teresa uh, volunteered to join me, and and together um, this piece came out, both of our strong feelings and also um, wanting to make a statement on behalf of all those professionals who would have uh, conceivably a very strong reaction to that piece. And it was prompted by the New York Times article, right? That's right. Uh, that was actually posted, I believe, on the website February the 2nd, 2013, and it was entitled Drowning in a Sea of Prescriptions by Alan uh, Schwartz. Um, so after the printing of that, what I'm understanding is the reaction of, of the collective reaction felt that something needed to be posted, and that brought about the writing of this post. That's right. Yes, and I actually, in the days followed the New York Times posting, I met um, students, college students, who were very troubled by it and and, um, felt it was really important to kind of speak to their voice um, when the media focuses on just the tragedies that happen when misuse of medicine is Mm -hmm. part of a story. And I want to kind of frame this out in ways, I want you to comment and make sure, I don't want to to misrepresent it, but I also don't want to go much into detail. This particular article told the story of Richard Fine who had a, a tragic death uh, as a result of using uh, stimulant medications. And the article um, was, was quite lengthy in its description about it. And it was, it's, it's actually a very, very, very tragic story. And I don't want to minimize the story in the least bit. Um, but there is some, some things that I do want to talk about, illuminate here, that I think some people are not necessarily aware of. But uh, with how I've described that, the article, just succinctly, would you, is that accurate, ladies? from your perspective? Yes, it, we felt it was very, very, very tragic. Um, not necessarily um, about a young person with ADHD, but very, very tragic. The focus of this show today that what I want to enter is, is this particular story, again, not minimizing it was very, very tragic, but it, it sensationalizes things, and when you read the article, it casts kind of a dark shadow over ADHD and stimulant medications. And from my perspective, it can really kind of create some challenges for some people out there. And ladies, in the blog that you guys wrote, you talked about um, the other side of that. Um, this types of articles creates more information and misunderstandings about ADHD. Um, can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Hi, this is Teresa. Um, because I work primarily with college age students, um, I am. I'm always hearing from students who either have the diagnosis or are getting the diagnosis how how it really impacts them in in a very negative way whenever there's a huge media focus on misuse or misunderstanding. Um, And I hear all the time of students who are diagnosed and when they see these articles they refuse to take their medication. It casts a lot of doubt in their minds as to whether they should be using medicine, whether they really do have this disability, uh, and unfortunately what I see is it, it, it really makes them go underground because they're not comfortable, especially on a college campus where there might be abuse going on, they're not comfortable um, being open about their difference. Uh, it makes them really reluctant. And so in a situation where they know, for lack of a better term, I'm, spook's probably not the right thing, but they, they, the media sensationalism, they they turn and become more reclusive, um, that can really be detrimental to somebody who's actually um, receiving some benefits from this, right? 
No doubt. I mean, I have heard students who have actually stopped their medication because um, they see those articles and it makes them fearful that maybe they really don't have this disability or maybe they are going to become addicted. Um, and then there's a whole group of people who just won't come forward and seek help. Um, because there's a lot of dialogue going on that uh, raises questions about whether it's real and um, whether they really need treatment. And there's, there's a, both of you work with um, with students and college students. Would you say that that stimulant medications and other types of treatment um, have a positive impact on those with ADHD? No question that that they do, that stimulant medications. Uh, are effective for lots of young people, children, and, and adolescents, and young adults, older adults with ADHD. Would you say that they can actually, uh, that these types of treatment can actually change lives for the positive? I would say uh, definitely. Just you know, if you think about, if we take the metaphor that a lot of people use, imagine insulin and diabetes. I mean, it's a similar issue with ADHD. If there really is a difference in their brain, for many people, it's life changing. It's just life changing. For the first time, they have the ability to concentrate, focus, and 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 show their full potential. So on one hand, I'm hearing that in talk dealing with students with these types of things come out, they actually stop taking taking their meds and kind of go on the ground. But there's also another crowd out there that maybe hasn't been diagnosed. And earlier, I think one of you kind of commented or alluded to the fact that that, that might scare somebody away from actually going and get the diagnosis. Can you speak to that a little bit? Um, I tend to meet students who, um, come, when they come to college, their their differences maybe come out more clearly and they were able to to be structured and be successful in high school. So for many many of them, as they're going through the process of trying to figure out what's going on when they meet their first failure experiences, um, when they hear these things, I, I hear it directly from their mouth that they wait to come forward because they really feel they should be able to control themselves. They doubt, um, again, they doubt the credibility that it's a real biological difference. So many times I see these stories, because there aren't equal stories showing how helpful medicine is or treatment, they actually wait for a very long time till their heads are very bloody and hitting that brick wall before they'll come forward. So oversimplifying this, just to repeat what I'm hearing you say, is this is actually, these types of stories these can actually be a barrier to people getting help that could be meaningful and change their lives, particularly in a situation where they had coping strategies to get them through, and now they leave the house, and all of a sudden maybe mom's not there to help them get organized and stuff, and they're really starting to struggle. This is actually can be a barrier that could, again, prevent these people from seeking treatment that could really help them improve their lives and change it. Is that, is that accurate? That is, and I guess, you know, I understand that these other stories are real. These tragic stories of misuse and misdiagnosis are real. But I think when they're not presented in a balanced way to talk equally about how effective treatment can be, I do think it does exactly what you just said. I, and I like what you said. I think, I think the word balance really seems appropriate to me because, as, as I said at the beginning of the show, not to – this was a tragic story of this particular individual, and I don't necessarily want to minimize this, but this is a little bit about balance to understand, hey, these types of things, if there's no balance, actually could hurt this, this, the, the crowd out there that could really benefit from this. Um, ladies, when we come back, I'd like to kind of talk about maybe why um, 
there's not a balance in the stories, but before we do, for any of our listeners that would like to contact you, um, and uh, your, is it okay if they send you an email address? Yes. And your email is aabramo at emory, E-M-O-R-Y dot E-D-U. Is that correct? That's correct. And Teresa, same for you. Is it okay if they if they got any questions to send you an email? Definitely. And that's T Maitland, M A I T L A N at E D U dot U N C dot E D U. And uh Teresa, you've got some books out, right? Yes, yeah, so but let me correct the email. It's um it's at email dot U N C dot E D U. And I do. I, I have um two books that have been out. Um my passion is really helping people with transition from high school to college, and there's mm-hmm. two books. They are available at Amazon. I co-authored them with uh, Dr. Patricia Quinn. One's called Ready for Takeoff. It's a, a guide for parents on how to prepare teens with LD and ADD for college, and the other is for teens. It's called On Your Own, a College Readiness Guide for Success. And we've had uh, Dr. Quinn, we had her on the show a couple times. Uh, a couple years ago, we had a great show with her. Uh, talking about the difference between ADHD and between girls and boys, and also what it's like to be an ADHD uh, parent in an ADHD household, which is fascinating. So um, let, let's go to break real, real quick, and we'll be right back after these messages. Tonight's secret word is media. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. You've tried logic. Johnny, just calm down and work. Then you can go out and play with your friends. Now get the help you really need to improve motivation, communication, and compliance for kids with ADHD. Join nationally recognized ADHD parent coach Cindy Goldrich and her team of experts at PTS Coaching. Take the first step. Sign up for parent workshops today at ptscoaching.com. Workshops offered in person, via the web, and as e-courses. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change the lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and Executive Function Challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Our topic tonight is drowning in media sensation. And before the break, we were, uh, we were, t- were commenting on the New York Times article um, published back in January of 2013 um, uh, titled Drowning in a Stream of, a Stream of Prescriptions, and it depicts a story of, of Richard Fine, which is very tragic. But there's another side that we wanted to illuminate today, and uh, before the break we were talking about this is really a show about balance. There's two sides of the coin that we think that needs to be looked at. And before the break I alluded, I want to kind of come back and talk about um, 
why the media might be just printing one side of the story, but I, I realized before the break we talked about people out there who might be receiving uh, treatments um, and, and decide not to go for treatment as a result of these types of things. And we talked about the crowd out there that as a result of this might not seek treatment that might need it. There's one area that I kind of skipped over that was pointed out in your blogs, lady, and that was the note of, of, of waiting, like professionals sometimes, with the misinformation, waiting for people to kind of hit rock bottom and be humiliated uh, to almost to go to an extreme before they actually seek treatment. Um, can you speak to that a little bit before we jump into the other part? Um, Teresa, do you want to pick up on that point? Um, sure. I was get, waiting to see if you had anything. Um, <laughs> at, at the college level, um, I, I think – and again, I'm in a very competitive university with very um, bright, successful young people of all types. But what I see is many times they have, if they have been diagnosed or they have not been diagnosed, because they've had so much structure in high school from the school itself, just the way the day is structured, and from parents and teachers, um, they have never had experience using resources. They may have used medicine in the past, but in terms of seeking help, they tend to be used to figuring everything out themselves. So what, many times um, we do lots of programming targeted to freshmen, and we don't get a lot of freshmen who will come because they expect they're going to be very successful here like they were in high school. But we tend to start meeting people as sophomores, juniors, and even seniors. Even just recently I met graduating seniors um, who came here as freshmen knowing they had ADHD, but um, until – things got so bad that they realized they couldn't figure out the system by themselves, they don't come forward. Um, and some of that is, I think, part of the age where people want to be like everybody else and they don't want to use resources. Um, but some of it, I think, is because they have always figured things out for themselves. So unfortunately, that's that's the story in, in the setting where I work all the time, is people have to have been on probation, maybe have been ineligible, maybe um, have had many mental health issues before they will come and work with somebody to be coached on how to how to be successful. Yeah, I think also, you know, related to that is people that have been um, in treatment through their grade school years and high school and have had the structure provided by their parents and a regular schedule that, you know, most public schools or private schools have, and they get to college and um, don't know how to use the medication in a way that adapts to that new environment, different kinds of study hours, the absence of parental structure, and so on. Everything here is amazing to me. I can tell you, as in my business, just coaching, I specialize in coaching adults. So often, I'd say four out of five adults that kind of come to coaching feel like life is hopeless. Um, they, they're, they're just so frustrated kind of at the end of the rope. It's really, uh, I was pointing out, it's, it's like a low point. They're really devastated. They're finally kind of looking for treatment. It's, it's, it's so, it's really kind of tragic because many of their self-esteem has gone into the tank a little bit. And so you're working with them to find some successes, but there's also the self-esteem issues because they've been allowed to get so far down the road. Sometimes you just wish that more professionals were um, to kind of bring it to the attention, encouraging it, because so many of them can be helped, um, particularly at an early age if it came out um, or if they seek treatment. Um, ladies, I just, I'm kind of curious, why do you think that the, uh, the media doesn't provide a balanced um, 
report on these types of things. Oh, this is Anna and I. I'm not sure that the media doesn't always, but I think, you know, the public has a huge appetite for sensational stories and stories that really appeal to the emotions, as this one does. Um, I think there really are some valuable messages within this story. It's just that what got emphasized, I think, unfortunately, was some um, information that could have a, a, a negative effect on people who have ADHD and their families. But um, embedded in there, you know, is valuable information as well. But it's, you know, it's what get it, it's what gets highlighted. I think that can be a problem. And I would agree. I mean, the stories of all the young people I see whose lives are turned around by medication or by getting help are not as exciting, and I don't know that they would sell papers. But I do want to say in the the story about Richard Fee, at the beginning of the story, um, the author did make a comment about how these medications are really useful to people with ADHD. There was a small, there wasn't a a small section that mentioned it, um, but I would love to see stories that would balance and have um, maybe a follow-up story would be about someone who is not abusing medicine and whose life is turned around. But as I said, as Anna's saying, too, I don't know that the public is as interested in something that isn't as tragic. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I said in the blog post that Ann and I wrote is in in jobs like mine, people who work at colleges who are coaches or work in learning centers, we don't tend to meet the people who are uh, abusing interventions because what we offer is not a quick fix. What we offer requires someone to be ready to really do the hard work to learn the new skills. And I don't deny that that's out there because it has to be. I mean, we know it is out there, but I I never come in contact with somebody who's trying to see me and um, fake having a disability. Uh, and oftentimes I hear students say it just it just frustrates them that people would want to fake their life because they see their lives as so chaotic as to who would want to fake having that kind of life. Um, but as I said, I, I never come in contact with those people. Mm-hmm. But I know they, they are real. I want to kind of go into the diagnosis thing in a second on because on, it's, it's, it's an interesting diagnosis for people out there that are that are trying to work the system but what i heard from both of you in terms of media thing is one is is you know the emotion of it all is 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 big for papers it helps sell some papers and the other thing to me is there's a face and a name that goes with a particular story whereas we talk about you know the amazing good there's not as much emotion from a from a from a story perspective but there's also not always a name and a face to be able to point to on this. I mean, on average, it does a lot of good for a lot of people, but sometimes there's not really that, that one that they can kind of pin it on, which makes it more more difficult or, I guess, really adjusts the interest of the paper because they are, you know, they want to report news, but they're also trying to sell newspapers at the same time. So it seems to me that those factors are working against the balanced approach. Um, do you think I misrepresented something there, ladies, or is that a fair summary? You know, I think that's probably definitely true, but um, I think also that some writers have biases, and those biases may be reflected in what they write, so it may not just be sensationalism. They may really, there are people who have an anti-medication bent or misunderstandings about medication, and they want to bring those out, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. 
I'll tell you what, I need to run to another break real quick. Again, for those who would like to contact Anne, her email address is A-A-B-R-A-M-O at Emory, E-M-O-R-Y dot E-D-U. And, Teresa, can you give your email address again so I don't botch it up? <laughs> sure. It's T-M-A-I-T-L-E-N at email dot U-N-C dot E-D-U. And, again, your books can be purchased on Amazon? Yes, sir. Among other places. So with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Tonight's secret word is media. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more how an edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We're here with Dr. Anna Bromwitz and uh, Dr. Maitland. Uh, having a, a very insightful discussion. Ladies, we've, we've talked a little bit about this particular situation. I want to just touch on the nature of ADHD and the diagnosis and the challenges with abuse. Uh, would one of you like to, to talk about, like, just the diagnosis side? It's not like you can go uh, take a blood test, or at least historically, and say, ah, that you definitely have it or not. Um, I'll, I'll be glad to talk about it. There is no test for ADHD. That's right. So um, what an evaluation for ADHD consists of is very careful information gathering. And there's some components to that evaluation that are absolutely necessary. Um, and one, the, probably the single most important is an in-depth history so that you understand um, when these symptoms arose, what these symptoms have looked like, in what settings these symptoms have been a problem, and um, what other things could have been going on during this individual's lifetime that might have accounted for these symptoms in addition to the possibility of ADHD or instead of ADHD. Um, Another component that we always use are behavior rating scales so that we get an understanding of how others see the behavior, the, um, the symptoms that the individual who is getting the evaluation is reporting. That's assuming it's an adult. We do the same thing if it's a child, but with a child we rely on parents and teachers. With adults we use 
uh, parents or other people who know the adult well, um, could be from a work setting, could be from a school, college setting, um, as well as um, information on the symptoms from the individual himself or herself. And um, coming back to this article, it wasn't at all clear that any of this had happened, mm-hmm. had been, that any of this information had been gathered. Now, sometimes there's additional information that's needed. Um, in addition to what I've just mentioned, um, a good, um, good uh, medical workup can be very important because we know that um, lack of sleep and some medical conditions can um, affect people in a similar way to how ADHD can affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and sometimes psychological testing is important, not specifically pertaining to the diagnosis, but to understand, again, um, issues like learning disabilities or um, other cognitive issues mm-hmm. that could be contributing, memory problems could be contributing to the person's difficulties. And so symptoms. a review of in-depth history, behavioral rating scales, uh, a medical uh, workup and a kind of a psychological evaluation. Yeah, very, very careful um, interview of the person himself. Again, if we're mm-hmm. talking about adults here, as we were, um, careful clinical interview. None of this is fast. All of this takes time, thoroughness, a lot of careful consideration, careful weighing of evidence coming from different sources. And it, one of the things that's interesting to me, or I think that's kind of important, is that at age 18, a person kind of crosses over this line. Um, it's an amazing line in the ADHD world. You, your health care providers change from pediatrician maybe to a, a family doctor. The legal landscape changes, and HIPAA becomes a part of the puzzle. And I've I, I got to be careful here. I'm not an expert in the area, but if somebody's going in for a diagnosis, it seems to me because of some of that stuff, they're in a little bit of control as to what history may or may not get revealed and who where some of that information is paying. I mean, certainly uh, the physical exam and some other stuff is there, but it just seems to me that it lends itself to somebody, if they want to get around the system, if they, if, if they paid attention to it, it's not, it's maybe easier to get around the system than maybe other types of diagnoses. Yeah, you know, I think a really good clinician needs to do two things. One is to refuse to make a diagnosis in the absence of, in the absence of information that would be necessary to have for making that diagnosis. And the second is to form a trusting relationship with this patient so that the patient understands why this information is needed so that he or she can help himself or herself. And, um, you know, I have not had um, college students that I've evaluated refuse, and there may be some hesitancy initially mm-hmm. to um, to gather that information. I have them help me figure out who they can use for the corroborative mm-hmm. information, who they feel comfortable asking. And, of course, they do the asking. They provide the rating scales to them that I've given them. But, but it's a, a crucial part of the evaluation, and they do come away understanding why it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And And, Jeff, I would add I'm not a psychologist, but because I meet students who are on their way to get diagnosed, oftentimes they're asking me why why do they need to get feedback from my parents or my roommates or, you know, someone who knows me. And we talk about that, you know, in the – in the literature, first of all, there's a lot of evidence that, unfortunately, attentional issues are going to impact on self-awareness, that you really might not have as clear a picture, and that this is part of the diagnosis is it has to be done with that collateral information, not just based on your self-report. 
And as Ann said, if, if they have trust in the person and they really understand it, um, I haven't met anybody who has not been willing to get some collateral. Sometimes people are not willing to get their parents because their parent, they have maybe uh, severed a relationship with a parent mm -hmm. um, or their parents are not encouraging this step. But um, I haven't met anybody who wasn't willing to get some other uh, self-observation, some other observation, sometimes from me. Mm -hmm. um, so if you talk with them, I think they and explain the reasons why they have understood. Mm -hmm. in, in total, really one of the things that I wanted to kind of bring out in this, the show today was, was the, the notion of the balance. There's two sides of this particular corn. There's some abuse to it, and certainly goes on not to minimize any of that stuff, particularly the, the Richard Fee situation. But the other side of it is there's so many people that can, that can be helped and be benefit, and how the sensationalism sometimes gets in the way of helping many, many, many people out there. Um, ladies, in the time that we have left, are there any last points or anything that we didn't talk about that's worth noting at this point? Uh, Jeff, this is Teresa. The one thought I had when you, we were saying, like, why why don't papers focus on maybe the more positive story? Mm -hmm. There have been some times where papers have actually reported on famous people mm -hmm. out there who have ADHD, um, and I actually see when that happens, that's really, really helpful for um, young people uh, or even adults who are reluctant to take a step forward and get diagnosed. When mm -hmm. it's somebody that is well-known and they come forward and say, I have this disability and I yep. thought I outgrew it and I realized I didn't and I need medication, uh, that can actually open the door for people. So um, that that would seem to sell papers yep. <laughs> but also really help um, put a positive spin yep. on on this disability. Yeah, particularly somebody who stands out that's doing something because it's somebody to look up to. Yes. Any other any other thoughts or comments before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think that um, that you've been doing a great job of dispelling some of the myths and some of the confusions that exist. And you know, one that probably makes sense to highlight because in this interview is that we recognize that there is a a problem on campuses with um people who are who are using or taking other people's stimulant medication diversion we call it mm -hmm. and um it's a problem because you know the medication needs to be prescribed and um, and not taken um, haphazardly, but it's also important to not confuse that problem with a addiction mm -hmm. and b with the proper treatment of ADHD with stimulant medication and um, to the the presence of diversion as a separate problem shouldn't weaken the very strong scientific evidence that there is for the effectiveness of the medication. That, 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 that was absolutely brilliant, and I want to remind everybody, this is Attention Talk Radio, and fundamentally we try to pay attention to what people are paying attention to. And this is a great gr great way to kind of wrap some things up. You can pay attention to the negative side and some of the abuse that's out there, and we're not trying to minimize that. Um, but at the same time, I really want to pay attention to the other side of that, and that's all the people that are actually helped uh, by treatments, and that can be hurt by the sensationalism as an argument to say, hey, let's, let's, let's just try to make sure that there's some balance out there so that people get good information out there and can make some choices for themselves as opposed to just being scared. So uh, with that, ladies, I thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, again, uh, real quickly, Ann, can you give out your email address for those who want to contact you? Sure. It's A-A-B-R-E. 
M O at Emory, that's E M O R Y dot E D U. And uh, Teresa? Yes, mine is T M A I T L A N at email dot U N C dot E D U. And with that, ladies, thank you very much for coming on this particular show. Uh, everybody, stay tuned next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care. Thanks again, ladies. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.